Okay, welcome to our podcast, We Need This. We created this podcast because we're extroverts and we need this time to be able to visit and, and chat about things that are on our minds. How are you doing, Nate? I'm, I'm doing pre- Chris Drumheller. I should introduce myself. <laughs> Nate Smith, and doing pretty good. Nate Caetano, whatever you want to call me. I don't have a preference. It's been a month since our very first upload, believe it or not, according to our little little database here. So, or maybe longer than that. But anyway, uh, doing pretty good. And sorry, we took a little bit of a hiatus. We, um, me personally, not we, I'm using the royal we, I suppose. But me, I'm getting ready to move uh, across the state. And I've had, I sold my house, bought a new one, and am currently in the midst of packing. Um, and so that's why there's been a little bit of time in between these because, uh, yeah, my life has been, on top of finishing the semester and starting the summer semester. So life has been pretty crazy uh, lately. So how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Let's just check in first. You know, um, it's crazy. So also I've got a summer class, which I haven't taught a summer class in a long time since I've been department head. And um, so I picked one up and so I've got to prepare for that. In addition to just a lot of things, it's so funny, you know, you see these, these, memes and things about being so productive now that we're working from home and all these extra things. I don't have time for extra things and other things keep showing up even at work. Like we've um, finally updated the website, really needed it. And, but it's falling on like department heads and content editors to go through and kind of fix things and check links and do all that stuff. And so it's going to be a busy couple of weeks just working on website stuff. Oh, for sure. Well, and I know I, I, I echo your sentiments about all these people who like have all this extra time. Like, I don't think, I don't know what this, there's this belief that, oh, I'm at home and I have all this extra time. There's still work to be done, you know, and, and talk of trying to like negotiate office politics with your spouse and like <laughs> who gets to use the computer when and this and that and, um, and, 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 and trying to pack enough that you feel like you don't have to rush it. But then also I'm like, keeping some stuff out because, you know, I need textbooks for the courses I'm teaching. I'm teaching uh, both summer one and summer two. And, you know, that's four courses to prepare for and on top of advising and on top of, I mean, it's, it's been nuts. So like, I don't, the people who say they have all this extra, you know, and the other thing I was thinking about is like, because they call it hustle porn. I don't know if you know that, but that's the term, you know, the people on online use when, they're like posting these like, oh, I'm so productive and I'm getting so much done. And then, and then, and then. It's called right. hustle porn. You know, it's to, and all it's ever done, to me it feels like kind of like, you know, inadvertent shaming of people who, you know, are just able, are just at least right now just trying to stay afloat, you know, keep uh, tread water as it were, you know, and for me, I don't, I don't respond well to that type of thing. But anyway, so I feel, yeah, I've got, he's got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, uh, but that's sort of part of the point of today's podcast. We, we, we talked a lot about a lot of pretty hard and difficult things. And we thought, you know, every once in a while, we'd throw in something light, something more fun. And, and, but also, you know, we are educators. It has little educational content to it. And, um, and thinking about, I, I don't know, I think about coping in, during the quarantine and everything. And, and um, you know, so today's topic, we're going to talk a little bit about recreational reading, and we're going to make some confessions today, as we are, even though we are very serious academic scholars and all of that, um, you know, we're going to make a few uh, personal uh, uh, confessions today. So, so, Chris, I mean, tell me, kind of, what do you do when it comes to recreational reading? T- 
tell me a little bit about kind of what your what your what's your jam when it comes to that. I really like to look for books that I really will find uh, entertaining that will draw my interest. And so, and there are, I don't know when we want to get to the confession stage, but I've got this kind of couple of different views. So I've got the ones that are really going to be heady reading, um, involve storylines and they'll take me a little longer to get through because I really take my time with some of those. And then I have the sort of other side of things where it's the fast reads um, yeah, the confession time, the, you know, Harlequin romance trashy novel type stuff, right? <laughs> and it's funny, I, I, I'm going to throw a friend under the bus a little bit, with, because when we talk about books, it's always a little more these heady types of books. And then it was just the other night at our book club, which is another one of those heady type of book type things. But when she's confessing, she's reading the same books that I'm reading that are these like Harlequin things. I'm like, what? I've known you for a couple of years and I had no idea. Not only the similar books, the same authors that I've been reading. I was like, all another conversation thread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's it. I'm, I'm the same way. So the reason this topic came up even as a, something to talk about is that we both admitted, I think, in a conversation that, you know, off air, that we were both big fans of Harlequin trashy romance novels. And, and trashy, I mean, that sounds a little judgmental, yeah. but let's be honest. Some of, it's not the highest. Some of them really reading. are, and some of them are not. And, and I want to also state, you know, some are really well-written, have interesting storylines, and that's really what I gravitate toward. There have been some I've picked up where I've, I've read them because I had them, but I was like, okay, this was bad. And... <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, I think there's, and that's a good, interesting question. Here we go politicizing things again, but that's a really good thing to think about. It's like, just because it kind of falls in that more recreational side of things or in that more, I don't know, fun read kind of thing, doesn't mean the quality of writing is bad. I've read some very wonderful, you know, romance, and I'm more of a fan of the LGBT romance novels because unfortunately, you know, popular romance books and a lot of popular media is only starting now to incorporate um, you know, mainstream uh, books are really only now starting to introduce like LGBT characters, you know, as with the love interest that's not got this like super sad tragic story. But um, anyway, so so that's where I came on. To, I stumbled onto the sub 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 genre, um, and this is LGBT focused. Um, and so anyway, but some of the writing and the prose is very good, right. and they don't get nearly enough credit. I think. Oh yeah, and I tend toward also the ones that um, have a little mystery. So that's actually kind of how I started. So let me tell you how I got started. This is, it's not that I hadn't read a few. Um, I'd pick one up every now and again. Um, I, as a teenager, read Flowers in the Attic series, the entire series. No teen should read that, I'm just gonna say. And it still is in the young adult sections, which I find terrible, but anyway. Who wrote that? I, I can't remember who wrote that. B.C. Andrews. Absolutely, B.C. Andrews, yeah, yeah. Um, and I even started the next series, which was even worse. It was like, okay, I got to stop, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I, I'd really, I would say I really straddle once in a while. I'd pick one up. Probably somebody I knew had read one and would hand it to me. It was more like that. I didn't go look for them. And when I became department head for history, the secretary at the time, she wasn't, she was about to go to South Korea and, and teach there. She had an entire, like, Back. She was like, hey, would you want to read these books? I was like, I don't know, you know, maybe. And she brings me this huge bag of mostly Amanda Quick books. And Amanda Quick writes um, 
romance, these historical romance um, mystery type things. And the author actually operates under three different pen names. So she's got a pen name for the past, books that are in the past. She's got one for more present type, modern contemporary things, and then future. So she had this gamut of things. Man. But what I found was the stress of being department head, you know, you had all these extra things that you were dealing with and, and just needing that self-care a little more. I would just pick one of those up and speed through it and not, it was so mindless for the most part that I kind of got hooked into it. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's forever to blame for this. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I think um, I similarly stumbled on, I had my aunt who was a, uh, she loves to read and, and reads voraciously anything she can get her hands on. Um, she had recommended this author, it was, it's called, I actually don't know what the genre itself is called, but it's like M slash M. So it's predominantly women writing about gay romantic fiction, like gay men, right? Uh, and they actually know more about the, psych the psychological, like relational dynamics of gay relationships better than I do. And I'm a, you know, I'm a therapist who specializes in that stuff. Anyway, they would just write these really wonderful stories that were, like you said, they were mystery, there was murder and mayhem, and, and but you know, but that had a really central uh, plot or, or the story sort of revolved around people who were similar to me. And and she had, there was this great author named TJ Klune, and TJ now, and I still follow him, this was probably you know, seven, eight years ago, I still follow him, but he's now moving more into mainstream and he's got a great new book deal. He wrote this, this book I'm really excited to read coming out called The Extraordinaries, and it's about you know, LGBT teens with superpowers and anyway, uh, but but he wrote this, I sort of the first, he wrote in this MM genre, this, you know, sort of LGBT Harlequin romance genre. And he wrote this great book called Bear Otter and the Kid. And it talks about, uh, you know, and, it, and I not to give it a bunch of stuff away and it's been a million years since I've read it, but this was the first book I had read that it, it centered around um, a, a, main, a gay main character who falls in love with another person another male uh, and, and has, um, you know, and raises his brother and, 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 and they have a really wonderful, healthy relationship. And it's not this coming out story. It's not the same old tropes of like, I don't know, um, you know, think like HIV stuff, you know, which is, of course, these are stories that should be told, but they're not the only narrative of LGBT people. Right. And, and so this great book uh, came out and I, and, I, and I read most of the series. There's one book I've yet to finish, but in the, with the same purpose of what you've described, which is um, kind of this, it's not mindless because it's a very thought, there's a very thoughtful story, but it's, it's feel good, it's Hallmark channel-y, you know, and it's just sort of, it's not really, it doesn't profess to be anything else more than what it is, you know, just a good, solid story. It's entertaining, that's got a nice message, and, but that, you know, and, and, and I was finding myself reading these, like, seasonally. It was so funny. As the school year would wind down and Diego and I would go traveling, I would pick up probably four or five of these titles. And I'd get them on my Kindle or my iPad or whatever. And, and, I, would just, and I would just read through them in the airports. And, and they just went, you know, and made the time go by fast. It kind of relaxed. It was a nice way to get me out of work or school mode and into a more relaxed vacation mode. And and uh, but what's so funny is I and I knew and I sort of talked about this too is like are as serious I mean I take myself pretty serious as an academic sometimes probably too yeah. serious but how we were a little ashamed to admit to each other that these are the 
I don't know, the titles or the types of books that we like to read. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I do think it's kind of funny that we kind of hide behind those. Like, like I said, the, the friend that I mentioned, you know, it's doing the academic stuff with us and these heady books. And yet these weren't the ones that, that come to mind. Oh, you should read these. And there are people who totally would be talking about this all the time. And this is what I'm reading. It just happens to be, we're so used to, I think, being very academic and we're reading the, you know, medal winning books and you know Oprah's choices book whatever right and so these kind of get a back seat even though some of the stories are really compelling some of them you know I was talking about an author I've been reading a lot of her books lately just because they're funny she writes these uh, her name's Tessa Dare she writes these really funny uh, characters and scenes and has some unique clever things that she's added because you know a lot of them they're period pieces and so the ones that I tend to read the Regency novels and you know already there are there are tropes and things that are you know going to be infuriating because of the time period and so uh, to add those bits of humor and allow women to be a little quirky is always kind of fun in those types of novels. And so I'll look for those things, but yeah, we just don't talk about it very much. And that's actually with a friend. That's what we found out. She was like, Oh, I read, you know, I read all of them. <laughs> Great. We could be totally talking about this. And honestly, I forget. I couldn't tell you the titles to save my life. I probably would normally forget even um, most of the author's names. Cause I'm just not read. I'm just like running through them and not registering. If I hadn't been reading these pretty recently, I'm not sure friend and I would have connected that way I would have been like I don't remember let me look it up yeah and that's so that's true I the same thing for me I remember the author more than I do this the the even the main characters names or the the details of the story I just remember the author and how they made me feel as I was reading right and sometimes like in some of them I'm rereading because I don't even remember them very well mm -hmm. I like they'll have tinges of oh yeah now I kind of remember it I was disappointed there was a series I was going to start rereading and I realized I there used to be a um, sort of like Kindle Unlimited, but it was a library source, like $10 a month. And I think I read them all that way because I was like, I don't have these books. <laughs> I'm so used to buying the 99 cent books or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, rereading them is pretty easy. And I was going to add to your LGBT stuff. The other thing I find with a lot of the authors, the ones that I really liked anyway, tend to treat LGBT characters, um, so, well, when I say that, probably lesbian gay characters in um, these Regency periods pretty um, respectfully. Like, they don't really tend to write about what I'm sure was still oppressive. They, they, obviously, they're, they're still addressing that time period, and there are certainly obvious oppressive things, but the characters that engage with them are like, yeah, that's just my two aunts who've been living together forever, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and it's all cool and we're good. You know, we, we really know what's behind it all, but you know, we're cool with that. Um, and so that's been interesting to see how they treat those characters when they choose to introduce them uh, during that time period. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about these books is in a way they're, and, and this is in no way, if any authors are listening, which I don't know that our audience is that widespread, but if we, we have a deep and utter respect for the craft of writing. And uh, as a past fan fiction writer who used to write about Harry, Harry Potter falling in love with Draco Malfoy, I have a deep respect for the, the craft of writing a good story. I, I have yet to do that, but myself, but I have a respect for it. Anyway, it, it, you know, the, 
the what I love about these this type of reading is there's I go in it with no expectation. Like if I'm going to read a Judith Butler book, let's say, or if I'm going to read, you know, some big author in in my field or you know some sociology or whatever, I have a lot of expectation, right? I'm going. I want to be impressed. I want to be. I want to have my critical thinking, you know, challenge and all those things. Um, but when I go in reading these stories, I don't go in with a lot of presupposition. You know, I'm just like, I'm, eh, you know, even when I'm like looking on Amazon, because the way, and we'll talk about how we browse and discover these authors. Yeah. Um, but even when I'm going in and just looking around for a good book to read, to just kind of sit in the airport and, you know, and I've got a three hour layover and something I can do. And it's not TV or Netflix, you know, um, what I love about that is that my expectation or my mind is blown every time because I don't have the expectations that I have with the other types of reading I do, you know, and I go in with a much more open mind. So I'm much more like, I don't have any, yeah, let's see what this is. You know, it sounds like a good book. Sounds like a, a good, I like the prose. I like, because also let's talk about this too at some point. What turns you off from a book in this type of reading? But anyway, yeah. And so it's nice to just kind of go in and not have all these I don't know, expectations of the author and they, and they, you know, and they deliver. Yeah. When the books are critically acclaimed and you read it and go, why? Right. I mean, I really hate when everybody's like raving about a book and so I read it and I'm like, Oh, why? You know? So yeah, I think mm -hmm. exactly that we've been really far more critical when there's, we've got these expectations of, Oh, this should be a great book or, you know, this should be something that I love to read or, mm -hmm. and, you know, we talked a little bit about this too when we were talking about Twilight, which I've not read because mm -hmm. vampires should not sparkle. And I have. Um, and right. I, lo I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm a big Anne Rice fan. So I really, you know, really like the genre when it's done really well. And for me, Twilight was just a bridge too far for me. I couldn't, could not go that direction <laughs> with the stories. Um, but really love like Discovery of Witches that treated the characters mm. and the, and the um, good book, very good book, the, the vampires and witches and all that treated it a little differently than what we'd seen in other things. Again, humorous. There were moments I was laughing out loud, and my family's like, "What is going on?" I'm like, cat, <laughs> need to see that. Let me tell you about this cat. You know, <laughs> so uh, you know, there's books like that, and, and I do get some of those types of um, recommendations from my academic people on Facebook, they're going, hey, what book should we read? And it's always these, you know, heavy read stuff that I'm like, I'm going to put them on my list, but I don't know if I'll get to them. Um, and sometimes that happens too with, I'll run across these headier books in um, audiobooks. So like if I'm traveling, like I read Educated or had the audiobook for Educated. Had, didn't really, I knew it had been, a lot of people really liked it, didn't know much about it, put it in. Oh my God, I was enthralled the whole way because her story is so amazing and crazy and everything else. Mm -hmm. And I almost prefer that I read it that way. Um, Girl on a Train, same way, auto, did the audiobook. I got the, you know, immersion in the experience. So sometimes I really, these uh, headier books, I almost really like on audio just because mm -hmm. I can get immersed into that and, and um, not feel like I'm speeding through the book. Um, now I know there's people, I just saw this on Facebook, some people who were saying, oh, I don't like the audiobooks because I want to read ahead if it gets really suspenseful or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah audiobooks are a, a real beast of their own in a way, you know, because I'm like you when I was, when I was going to the gym, <clears throat> the COVID happened and I can't make it. Sorry. Uh, anyway, I, you know, that's what I would listen. I, I tried music. I, I mean, I would do the occasional podcast, but I found the easiest way for, 
you know, 45 minutes on the, uh, uh, the treadmill was audiobooks. And so I read a lot of them that way, uh, a lot of books that way. I mean, I read all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and I don't know if read is the right verb, you know, because right. you listen. listen to or whatever. Yeah. And, and but through our library. And so, you know, my choices are limited because I'm not on audible or anything like that. So my choices were li limited. So sometimes it's just like, Oh, that book's on here. Click. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I, as a side note, I have a weird thing about audiobooks because I love them and I do certainly believe the author deserves and the, the, the people involved editors and the voice actors and all those things deserve to be paid. It's just, they're so bloody expensive. And yeah. I, and, and, you know, when I, especially like the books I was interested in, like, um, I'm trying to think, The Discovery of Witches, is, I listened to that, uh, the audio, Audible, and I think it was like $25, you know, and I ate through that quick, and I had the Audible membership where you get the tokens and everything, and I would eat it up in a week, and then I got to wait two weeks or a month before I'm able to get another audiobook, and, and I've used the library sites, and if any librarians are listening that are in charge of, like, was it the cloud um, app or the RB any of those apps that do the, please, for the love of God, update those apps. They're, they're wonderful apps. Do If you need money, do a GoFundMe, do something. And I would happily contribute because they, those apps, the cloud, the cloud library, and the, which is the other one that I use a lot, is um, RB Digital. Those two apps, while fantastic at access, they are so clunky as apps to listen to audiobooks on. And, and so, and these are typically the ones that you can access through your library, you yeah, know, like overdrive. Have you used overdrive? Yeah. Yeah. And that one is, yeah. And I've sort of had the similar experience. I lose my place in the book, uh, you know, and it's like, come on, we got to update these apps. So come on. Audible. Problem, but yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. So, so audiobooks are, are great. And I think, um, and I tend to, I don't have a preference. I like to do both. I like to do audiobooks and I like to read prints, you know, my thing is, is with, um, I, I'm being a minimalist or self-proclaimed minimalist, buying books is a very tr tricky, tricky situation for me because I don't like to have too many possessions. And if you have, you know, you buy your books, you know, so I ended up, the Kindle has been a really good resource for me uh, because I can read as many, I can take four or five books with me on a trip and it's all on my device. Dang, man. Oh, I, I and I don't, I use my iPad with the Kindle app. Yeah. Um, but say, I mean, the minute I was like, you mean I can get rid of books? Let's go to town. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Because exactly, you know, as an academic, we are moving so many books. I mean, there's still plenty of books in my office. And so if I were to leave here, the amount of books I'm going to have to pack just to actually, I probably still would get rid of quite a bit. But, um, well, yeah, when my, when my husband was uh, moving out of his office because we're moving because he got a new job, uh, he has a lot of music scores. And, and like, you wouldn't, but I had to go and buy a hand, like a, a dolly, so that I could move those boxes because they're so heavy, yeah. you know. And moving books, people don't think that that, I mean, but it's, you don't think about it, but it's pretty tough, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've, <sighs> And it's two academics in the household, so like yours, you really, you know, when you have a two academic household or you've got librarians or um, just people who love books, mm -hmm. just the amount of, of books to move. And yeah, I really felt like, and my, my kid even has moved away from books. She's got some still because we had a, 
uh, a friend who's she's passed away since but had been a librarian and so every birthday and christmas my kid got tons of books and we have great ones that really i've been pulling out and saying you know we need to sit down and read so, including me i have not read like i've seen the movie little women the new one and it's so good that and my mom was like oh that was my favorite book i'm like how did you not make me read that then so it's sitting out on the shelf for my my kid and i to go ahead and read because we probably should um, so there's things like that that we'll go back to that we have the physical books for. But if I'm buying books today, I'm, I'm just going to put them on the Kindle. My husband does that now. Um, my kid mostly reads fan fiction, I think. So notice yeah. I said, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the I sort of the recreational reading piece of all of this is a is for me and is about how we find the book. So, I mean, I do, I'm very picky when it comes to books because it's a lot of time to invest. I'm not a super fast reader. Um, I actually listen to books faster than I read them. And so when, I, when, when people recommend books to me, I'm very picky about, so I'll do the research about the book and I'm the guy who's downloading the sample. And I said, well, let me see what this, you know. So what I'm a big fan of doing is I go on Amazon and I know Amazon's a big, you know, evil corporation and all of this, but um, it also, it, there's a lot of exposure for, you know, self-published authors and, and it's a great marketplace for them. And, and a lot of the genres that I read, you know, the LGBT book genre, romance, you know, kind of Harlequin thing is... Barnes and Noble doesn't carry those books. Walmart doesn't carry those books. Now there are, you know, smaller distributors or whatever, and I need to probably do more research on that. But Amazon is the best place to find the most comprehensive lists of the types of books I want to read. So, so I like to go in there and poke around and, and find authors who, you know, maybe have just, that don't have enough exposure or haven't gotten the right exposure or are early in their career, you know, and, and so I've, so in terms of like finding books, I love to go on and it's almost like the hunt of finding, you know, the gym in, or the piece of gold in the, you know, in the, as you're going, you know, the river or whatever they call that, you know, um, and finding those books that way. And I found a wonderful author. Uh, her name is Sloan Kennedy and she writes in this LGBT romance genre. And she wrote this great series called Pelican's Bay series. And, and, and it's super like, I mean, it's, all the characters are angsty and you know, the sheriff falls in love with this one and then that one falls in love with this one. And it's very, you know, um, Harlequin romance in a way. But anyway, I love the books and the series and, but I also love how I found it. I thought it was, you know, just stumbling on, um, and, and, and that's the, you know, these algorithms who collect our data get a lot of bad rap, you know, of stealing our data. But this is one of those positive things. It made, a, you know, Amazon made a recommendation. If you read this, you might like this. And anyway, and so I, I think half the fun for me in this reading in this way is finding those hidden gems, you know. How do you find what you read? Um, uh, so a couple of things um, in terms of this type of book, the Harlequin romance type things. So it, like I said, it started with Amanda Quick. And so similarly, I, I got on Amazon and uh, had looked for, up for like a couple. And really, there were like only a handful of books that I had not been given. I mean, I'm telling you, that's how big this bag was. And this woman's been writing for a long time. So I, I just was kind of looking some of those up and I would look in the reviews. I'm, I'm a big di dive deep into reviews. Um, and I tend to look at threes a lot because I, I want the people who are 
I feel like they're the most honest because they're going to tell you what both the strengths and weaknesses are going to be. Oh my gosh. That is, right? if you, if you were to do a big five personality test right now, I could almost guess what your personality temperament is. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Just by choosing the threes, because I automatically click on the fives. And I'm like, oh, all the good things. You know? <laughs> yeah, I want I want the real story. So, um, and, and not that I don't read some of the fives and ones, I, I but I really, those threes, I kind of gravitated toward to go, you know, let me, let me at least get the sense of what's going on here. Um, Cause you know, sometimes you'll get the ones who'll be like, oh my gosh, this was, there was way too much sex. And I'm like, crude. Then I'll get to the guys <laughs> and they were like, you know, and sometimes they're, I mean, sometimes like, I, I don't want to read a book that is like all sex and it doesn't have a story. That's just stupid. Sure, sure. But if it's got some, I'm like, whatever, you know, whether it's good, it's bad. You know, I also find authors tend to have their, um, their types, like, you, you know what every one of their sex scenes is probably going to include, right? Yeah. So it's been interesting. Yeah. Some of that, I'm such an academic still sometimes that some of that's just interesting. Like what stylistically sure. are they doing? And I can almost like to the percentage tell you about when it's about to hit in a book based on the author. Oh, really? And, How interesting. Because they tend to have a pattern. I find that really fascinating. But anyway, so I'll, um, so I'll read through some of the reviews. And some of those reviews would say, if you like this author, you really should try this. And um, I actually found like probably three or four authors who did these historical romance mystery type things that way. Um, and then the other thing, you know, BookBub and other places like that, where there'd be like these, you know, they're 99 cents. And so I'd get a 99 cent book and go, if I hate it, I paid 99 cents for it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I, I did that because, you know, um, Kindle Unlimited, I could go that route, but they don't have all, you know, they don't have all the authors that you're looking for. And, yeah. you know, for most of those books, I was spending like, I, I probably wouldn't spend more than $5 a month. And so it didn't matter. And then the, you know, the authors that I really liked now I might be spending six or $7 for the next book in the series, but I knew I liked the book for I mean, that 99 cent deal is quite the hook. Really. <laughs> it sounds like it. it. It's a great way to go do you like this author and get you to buy other books? And if they're good writers and they have good stories, um, yeah, I, I certainly, there's been some, I've spent a lot of money for that author because the books in those series are really good. Mm. That's ten, um, most of how I, I tend to find a lot of these books. And I really did get away from reading them for a while. Um, just got so busy, hadn't been reading anything. As, and so there had been a bunch that I had bought that were sitting there. So now I'm just kind of clicking through books and occasionally what's happening exactly as I said, I've forgotten them. So I'll click and go, I don't remember this book. So I'll just read it. I just read I'll, it again. I don't know that, you know, like I'll read the description going, I'm pretty sure I read this, but I don't remember it well enough. So that's kind of how I go about looking for that stuff. I love that. And I love, you know, there's something about the hunt, you know, and, and I think it's part of the reason I still, I, I still go to the bookstore and I still, have given plenty of money to local bookstores and to uh, Barnes and Noble or Borders back when it was open. There's another great book, uh, bigger book chain, and I can't remember what it's called. It was, they had one in Denver, and it was um, it was cool because they also had like collectibles and stuff, and and but they also had like you know CDs and books. And, well, anyway, excuse me. Used to have that stuff. Half price books was like this, you know, was a lot of fun to do. Um, and my kid will. Um, still buy manga like mm -hmm. so we'll go to barnes and noble and, and get the books and so we she does have a bookshelf of that type of thing yeah you know what's interesting about the manga so sorry to cut you off okay. uh, is the the thing interesting about a manga so i was not in my home 
surprisingly, my mom is an extraordinarily voracious reader as well. Uh, she used to read these books. So a long, long time ago in like five paths lines, I used to be LDS. I was a Mormon. And there were these gigantic books that were kind of the fictionalized history of the church. And there were these books called The Work and the Glory. I mean, these things were, I don't know, you can't see my hands, but they had to have been 800 pages. I mean, they were huge. And my mom would destroy those books. And she would read them in like a day and a half. And me, I was like, I wouldn't get through one of those in a month. Well, anyway, but it, it, all that to say, reading in my home wasn't like, we weren't really big, I would say, like, even though she read a lot, it wasn't something that was really like pushed on us as a kid. Right. But my, what was interesting was I discovered my love of reading and I had a wonderful librarian in high school and in middle school who really embraced, because it was the time manga was kind of coming over and it was mainstreaming. It was still a little bit outside of the mainstream, but you know, now manga, comic books, graphic novels, librarians are, you know, they, they're very much in support of that. But there, there was sort of this debate, it seemed from my perspective, not, I'm not a librarian, but, uh, there, you know, the manga and graphic novels were, that's not technically reading. If you're reading those, that's not. But I had this great librarian in my school who would, we would do these interlibrary loans and she, and I would find the most random, obscure manga books that now you can go and get them on online or whatever. Um, and she would bring, she would get them from the other, wherever they were at and, and I could check them out from the library. And that's actually what started my love of reading. Um, was those, those graphic novels because it wasn't as intimidating as a big, scary 800 page book, you know? Um, and anyway, and it was just really cool that that librarian, and I don't remember her name. She was really cool though. And uh, was so open-minded. She's like, yeah, great. No problem. You know? And then eventually she, they, she started ordering graphic novels for our library and stuff. But uh, I remember when those got big and, um, well, not really, I mean, they're still big, but I mean, really when it started to get mainstream in the United States, those, those graphic novels. Um, and you mentioned the librarians, that's actually where we get, um, so they, they actually print out LGBT youth books. Got, we've got these handouts that we give, it's, and they've got another one that's just, I think it's just LGBT reading, uh, and, and it's our library that's put that stuff together, and oh, so we pass those out so that, that people do have a list of um, books that they can browse through because they may not know what's out there, what to look for, um, that sort of thing. So that's oh, even, yeah. I'd mentioned, that's actually how I found out about one of the LGBT Regency period youth, young adult books. And it happened to be on that um, overdrive on our library site. So, so we plugged it in and, and listened to that, which that's of course cool. a different, again, that time period is really funny, right? Because of how much has to be if we think they're on the down low here, it's like even more so, you know, during that time period. So, um, in England, it's always, you know. We just, yeah, there was a great series for young adults. And I, and I think this was a middle school, early high school series. A wonderful author named Alex Sanchez, um, and who wrote the, what they call the Rainbow Boys series. And it was one of the, it wasn't the first LGBT young adult novel. It was, but it was certainly, I think, one of the more popular ones, the first popular ones back in like 2007, 2006. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it was required reading when I, uh, teaching introduction to LGBT studies. It was required reading for, for my students because it illustrated the coming out experience, the LGBT youth experience in a really good, really excellent way. There's like these three characters that have three separate experiences of coming out. 
um, and, and how their stories intertwine. And anyway, I just remember reading those as when I was younger, I came out at 19, 18, 19 years old, and I had no access to LGBT young adult novels. Um, you know, now they're, it's, they don't even, they used to put those books in the LGBT section, right? And, but now LGBT young adult uh, fiction is interwoven throughout the young adult section, like at Barnes and Nobles, right? And they don't have a separate section. And you actually need to know the authors. Because I went through this period a long time ago where I bought as many um, LGBT youth young adult novels as I could to read up and just, I, I, as a matter of fact, I donated them to a local LGBT counselor a couple of years ago because I had so many and I was kind of trying to lighten up my, my, uh, my stuff. And anyway, uh, but I remember those books were really powerful for me anyway, in like theorizing how I would, how I could come out and conceptualizing like how I could, you know, be in a healthy romantic relationship that didn't occur, you know, in the secret of the night or something, because, um, you know, coming out for me was I, uh, I could not, there are those who can negotiate not being out, but still being in a romantically involved relationship, either sexually or physically or whatever. I couldn't do that. I, for me, it was all or nothing. It was like either I was out and I could have a boyfriend or I was in the closet and I wasn't engaging in any of romantic uh, entanglements. But what was really cool about those books is that I could imagine myself you know, and so, and, and kind of think about, oh, I could do this. There's, there's, a, there is a way to do this that is for me and the way that will work for me, you know. Um, and anyway, I don't know, I sort of got off on a tangent on that, but the point of it is, is those young adult books, um, particularly for LGBT fiction, has come, have come a long way in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, and have you, you know, I know there's some of these out there. I, I couldn't name any off the top of my head, but there's, LGBT books that have, they're basically the, somebody writes the LGBT version of a heterosexual version of a book. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are those books out there. Um, and I don't know necessarily who is a good example of that. Um, yeah, I can't think, I, I know I've uh, read articles about that sort of thing being done. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think it, it makes sense. And I'm sure if I thought long, more about it, I could probably think of a few authors. I, I tend to not, I'll tell you, the, when I was coming up, now understand, there's a whole new ball, you know, ball of wax. It's like a whole new game in town. I, I, when I was coming up, David Leviathan was a big LGBT writer for young adults. Uh, he wrote a great book. He co-authored a good book. And I can't remember whose co-author was, but no, he wrote the book called Will Grayson, Will Grayson. Uh, and I think he just wrote that. But then he also co-authored a book with famous Hank, no, Hank, Hank Green. He wrote like Fault in Our Stars. And, yeah. and uh, he, he co-authored a good book with him uh, that had an LGBT, like I think like it had a side story or like a subplot or something that was really good. Um, uh, the ones I listed was like Alex Sanchez, uh, Robin Reardon was a really wonderful author. And she, uh, I mean, she had a way, I'm actually friends with her on Facebook, and, you know, and she's, she's great. She wrote some, uh, novels. They wrote a great story about a, a guy who goes to um, uh, conversion therapy, you know, and kind of falls in love with somebody there and just talks about uh, that experience. I mean, she's written a bunch of really great ones um, that are young adult. Um, Alex Sanchez, another great one. And he tends to write for kind of younger audiences, uh, like, like I said, middle school, early high school. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that, I mean, and there's, there's a bunch of them. But anyway, I wonder to, you know, thinking about that, that genre, how 
how stories might differ, starting with that premise of um, from an LGBT perspective versus trying to co-opt a story that yeah. is probably problematic anyway for LGBT community members, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm just curious, but unless you've really done that reading in, in comparison, probably can't really say much about it, but uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I definitely think there are authors who, I mean, you say you write what you know, and if it's a heterosexual author, I mean, I can't sit here and say with any, def you know, definitive proof that, I mean, yeah, I think it's, that's a very critical theory way of analyzing a story. Um, and I, when I, when I think about these types of writings, I don't use that lens, you know, um, but because I think there's a very fair critique of some of those stories, I'm sure. Um, you know, like, like I remember reading, and this, and this sort of brings in, us back around if you think about like so twilight so i read twilight back when it was it was coming out uh whatever that was 2008 or 9 something like that um and i remember reading probably the first critical review or critical essay on that um and it was they they characterized the relationship between bella and edward as abusive right right and and i was like floored by that because I had, when I approached that reading, and even, you know, Mr. Social Justice over here, you know, and I hadn't even approached, like, even used that lens to conceptualize that story, you know, in that way. And so, I mean, that's really interesting. Do Because you, you're a social justice-minded person. When you read these, this type of, I mean, does that ruin, and I don't say ruin, which is probably, I'm going to use that word. Does it ruin the experience for you, or well, are you able to separate those worlds? Especially with the Regency period stuff, occasionally we get, you'll get one that's like, I'm like, that's a little rapey, and yeah. that one will, that'll turn me off. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily bothered by the necessarily assertiveness or that sort of thing. Um, it is kind of funny. I, I think I'm really aware when there's a clear consensual process going on, like, sure you have to say yes, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I do, yeah, I'm very aware of that. Um, so I have a couple of stories actually related to uh, reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm most embarrassed reading that one because that book was so bad. The <laughs> writing was so bad. But I, it, it was another one I was coming at it from an academic perspective. People were talking about it. These women were falling all over themselves reading. I was like, why? And so I read it. And um, I think I've told you, um, the funny part about it, I, w I was, had been in with my cousin and one of her friends had read it. And so I was talking to my husband going, you know, she said, it's just something you have to read to really understand whether it's violent or not or whatever. And so he buys it for me, not in Kindle, but on the actual book. So I can't even hide that I'm, I've got the book. And then my sister-in-law <laughs> sister wants to read them. So I'm like, well, I might as well pass them on to you. So I'll buy the other two in the hard set. So and the second one reads like the first one was stupid. And the third one changes voice. I mean, it was so badly written. But here's what was so funny. I, I just have to share this because it just boggles my mind. So you mentioned Amazon does the, you liked this. You might also like this. So it wasn't just other books. It was the toys or so to speak, the sex toys that were in the first book. I'm like, wait a minute. People are using this as a how-to and they're buying <laughs> off of Amazon? What up? You know, and some of those things, I mean, you, you need to know how to use them right. And, you know, you shouldn't sure. be in Amazon, right? I well, mean, that's a whole culture. I mean, that, there's, there's the way, and from what, I, what little, I, and I haven't read those books, I'll be honest with you. And it wasn't because I didn't like them or didn't think I was, I'm not on the bandwagon. I just, it never really, 
entice me. I mean, well, I'm, if but, you're again, they're not LGBT characters, so I don't, yeah. you know, that yeah, was, yeah. somebody <laughs> else I talked to. She was like, uh, yeah, I haven't read them because why would I? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's fair. And again, why would you? Cause they're not good. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't really still understand the entire obsession with them, but, um, well, I know that there are people in that community who have, re who have, uh, rebuked is that the right word where they're like no don't read these books to get there, understand there's culture. better from what i understand i'm not a, i don't read a lot of erotica type books but th there's better ones from what i would understand and i would believe it and i actually i used to make the comment i was like in terms of bdsm i think you learned more from uh some of the television shows with dominatrix and so i was like there it, it was still not all that i don't know out there i don't think i didn't think but um but that was another one of those books where um, you immediately saw people coming out and, and declaring the abusiveness of the situation because number one, I mean, if it, they said BDSM, it must automatically be abusive. And the, so there were a couple of critiques that I had is that first of all, you saw people vilifying the BDSM community without even understanding the community at all. And I thought that was completely unfair. Yeah. You saw a lot of people critiquing who probably A, didn't read the book in the first place. They just know the premise. And secondly, never made it past the first book, which the first book is introducing all of those things, but it's not to later ones that you, you see his shift, you see, you understand the backstory. And I, I, there's actually a fairly compelling interpersonal story in there. I honestly think a really good writer, director, producer could have taken all three books and created one really interesting movie. Uh -huh. But of, of course, they wouldn't have made as much money um, because there is a story there. And by the time you get to the third, there's even a sort of mystery piece that she adds to it. There's some compelling pieces. Sure. It's really easy just to go flip, 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 flip into because there's not enough substance in any one of the books. So that was really distressing. But yeah, um, but it was from an academic point was like, why are these so intriguing? And I even went to a seminar that my doctor held because she would do like women's issues kinds of things. And she's like, let's talk about this book. And I was like, let's tell me more about this. <laughs> I want to know. Why, yeah, right. why are y'all reading this book? I want to know. Um, so there was this very academic sense to me even reading that particular book. And, and I have no problem telling people I read the books. Um, but I do so with this critique that's like, sure. and I love the Amazon story. There were the toy, you know, I just find them. So. Somebody made a wish list, and this is like my Fifty Shades of Grey wish list. <laughs> the algorithm got uh, window. Yeah, boy, it was like, awesome. of all things, please don't use it as a how-to book, because that it is not. No. But um, and, yeah, so that was yeah. interesting, you know, that people were immediately wanting to frame it as an abusive relationship, because instead of recognizing, you know, the shift and the change to where, it, first of all, it is all consensual, and it talks about that, and having your safe words and stuff like that, but... Um, recognizing the shift in, in the relationship that, you know, I think we, we see beauty and the beast stories and things like that and, and want to make the person the aggressor all the time. Um, if you in um, Mickey, I think it's called Mickey Mouse Monopoly. You know, they, that's one of the pieces talking about beauty and the beast and, and she falls in love with her abuser and that sort of mm. thing. But I, you know, I also asked the question of if we're a society that believes in redemption, is there a place for redemption? I mean, I think we've got to be really careful of that, right? We don't want people staying with abusers. We don't want people to think that they can reform people. But I also think we need to be cautious in judging when 
when a reformation has occurred. Is that possible? If we believe that redemption is possible, sure. Um, and it may be that somebody who's aggressive, that change comes with another person. So you, you as the one who's abused, never experienced that. And I think that's fair. And their story still is completely valid. And I don't, I don't know how you reconcile those pieces, but that's a very interesting point. Let me ask you this another question. What, do you, what, what degree of responsibility does the author have to be cognizant of all of those things? And so, like, I know that the author of, and I don't remember what her name is, uh, uh, the gal that wrote um, The Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, I know Stephanie Meyer's got a bunch of flack yeah. for Twilight stuff. Yeah, James, uh, E.L. James, is that her name? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. What is it? How much do you think in your, for having read those books and they were being, they, uh, being particularly salacious books, um, what, how much level, I mean, how much responsibility, what level of responsibility does the author have in, in, in reconciling or, or naming those things and, and calling them out? Uh, you know, that's a, I don't really think that they have that type of responsibility as a, as a writer. I think socially, I would hope that they would do something. And if they wrote something that, um, I don't know, has, I mean, because we, we read and see uh, about abusive situations all the time, just as part of the story and the narrative. I mean, look at the movies. I mean, we'd ask the same question of producers and directors, do they have a responsibility in some way? And I think we often do see some type of disclaimer, or if you're, if you're in this situation, please hear some help you see those types of things just as a matter of, I think, public relations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, her books actually address, uh, not to spoil this for anybody, but uh, <laughs> pedophilia. Um, and, and really even that reconciliation of, it's an interesting sort of storyline where the older woman, he's a very angry teenager. The older woman takes her, him under her wing and BDSM and all, you know, um, and, you know, it's the girl that he's now with. It's like, this is, this was abuse. This is pedophilia. This is not okay. And he thought it was okay because it kind of saved him. And so there's this discourse that's happening that, that, you know, makes those issues a little complex, still pedophilia, but a little complex. Right. Uh, so, you know, part of it is what we as the reader come to it and decide whether or not it's something that we want to grapple with and talk about and and I think it's as a reader and as an academic I think it's important that we have honest discussions about it I, like I said I think it was completely unfair for people to be critiquing if they didn't read the book and didn't get past book one because then they didn't know what the full story they didn't know what the author was actually grappling with or working with in the storyline um, after all that if she hadn't put those pieces together. Now we ask the question, you know, he's abusive to the very end. Is that a problem? Mm -hmm. he, and he, he isn't in, in, in any recognizable sense, I don't think, but um, yeah. Is that something we should grapple with? But at the same token, if I read a book that was on domestic violence, even if she comes out the victor in the end, um, is it my responsibility to put resources in the back? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, those ethics are complicated. And I think, um, you know, I don't know that I have an answer uh, because I, I'm really, when it comes to these types of things, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, I know we joke and everything, but, you know, one could argue that a book like that is art and, and is, you know, what are the ethics of art and what are the ethics of 
of sex in general, when it, particularly in these types of books, or of ethics of violence and, um, and, and um, liberation and all, whatever themes appear in a book, you know, I don't know. I, I tend to try to be as open-minded as my own experience lets me. I mean, I have my biases or whatever, but um, is it the, you know, is it the responsibility of the author to, uh, you know, identify resources and all of those things? Or is it the uh, job of the author to tell a compelling story? Whether or not it, you know, it's compelling to us or not isn't really the point. The point is, is like people connected with that book. And it's a lot, you know, I think of another thing too, like I got a lot of flack because I love Dan Brown books. I really love, you know, and, and he gets a really bad rap, you know, the, you know, as a, he's a bad writer and he, Robert Langdon is a bit of a sexist and, you know, all these things. And now the granted, they don't have nearly the salacious sort of content that Fifty Shades of Grey does necessarily, but, um, you know, am I as a social justice minded person expected to avoid that uh, or do I go into it with the, with the understanding that this is a story about a person and, and those things exist with people alongside the admirable traits that they may carry. I don't know. I mean, me personally, I try to be as open-minded about those things uh, in terms of art and representation as possible. Now, certainly I don't, I don't agree with violence towards spouses or towards anyone really. And um, of course, I believe that people have right to access resources and things like that, you know, but whose responsibility is that? And, and I don't know, I think it's a very much a philosophical and ethical debate, you know, I don't know there is a right answer. Per se. There's a bit of this too, where the, I mean, the reader takes it on themselves as to whether or not they want to read those books or continue reading, you know, do you hit a piece where you're like, I, I, I can't continue reading this, I just don't like the way it's representing. There are shows, I, I cannot watch Special Victims Unit, it, it's really hard for me to watch that show. Um, I know a lot of people like it and I think it's uh, the acting superb and it's a, probably a really great show, but it can't, it just bothers me too much to watch it. So that's not gonna be something. I'm, and I think the same thing's gonna be true of the books that I choose. There's gonna be some, and there's some that trouble me in a really good way. Like it's important that I struggle with them. Like, you know, reading things and again, act more academic, but reading things like Just Mercy or um, reading, I'm trying to remember what the other, uh, Book I was reading about civil rights um, time period. Those things they're they they hurt to read sometimes because you're reading these tragedies that occur either have real, in real real life have occurred or they're even um, just telling stories similar to what types of things you know Emmett Till type stories that they're they're hard to read but so important and so I I work my way through it but those are the ones that'll take me a little while to read because I'll be like whoo. I'm setting that one down for a little bit so that I can process. Um, but these others, again, you know, we can speed through them. And, and there's parts of it, usually what'll happen, like the ones where I'll go, ooh, that was a little rapey, is a scene. I can skip or I'm gonna go, okay, I can't read that piece. And I can just continue on if the story's good enough. If the right. writing hasn't been good and there's this rapey scene, and eh, I'll be like, all right, I'm done. Um, you know, is there a purpose for the scene? I mean, I think those are some other good things. Are there you know, are there reasons for the storytelling device that propels the story? Or is it just kind of thrown in there to be sensational? And mm -hmm. I don't like that even in my movies. I'm like, that was totally useless. Doesn't make any sense. I like, I, I don't like when 
um, authors cheat us in any way. So if you can't figure out how to end, you don't can't figure out how to keep these characters together and you just kill them off. That irritates me. Sure. I would like to see that you've, you've grappled with what's a really good ending for your story. And so, yeah, so I'll pay attention to those. And that's what I think the author's responsibility is. Give me a good story and a reason to be compelled to keep reading your story, to buy your books. That's your responsibility. Um, it's my responsibility as a reader to decide, do I want to read it? Do I not? Um, I do like authors in notes, like even in these historical romances, a lot of, some of my favorite ones they'll have at the end, either their research process, um, something that they talked about in the story that they want to tell you more about. I've learned a lot of things that way that I think is really great. And I think that's the same thing with if you add resources or you do things, it's, it shows that I have really paid attention to the story I told and what I think the reader should have at the end. So that's where I would say that's just a cool feature. Mm, that's good. And, and I like when they do, I like when they situate it in time or they situate it within their process, you know? Um, and I, I'm the guy, I, I'm, I love people and I'm interested in people's process, you know, as a therapist, that's sort of most of the thing I focus on. And so when I think about authors, I will read, even when I watch movies, I want to know about, you know, what were the behind the scenes things going on? You know, what was influencing? So I watched the interviews with the author. You know, I watched a great masterclass Q&A with Dan Brown. And he's teaching these books or teaching, you know, how to write thrillers. And, um, and I was really interested in, because I'm reading a book of his called Lost Symbol right now. And um, I am interested to know how does he come to his... Um, you know, his process, you know, and I want to know what's influencing his life, what's influencing the story, you know, because I am a big believer, you know, I've always, and this is, we talked about confessions, so, you know, one of the other things is, is I've always, I confess that I'm a fan fiction writer, I'm confess, I'll confess now, I'm working on a novel myself that I've slowly been chipping away, uh, and I have been very interested in how much I, I see as a amateur writer, how much of myself goes into that story. Right. And when somebody gives you a 500 page book, how much of that, that is them? And I just think what a fascinating process, you know, it's, and so I love whenever they contextualize the story. Sure, I can take the story as it is, but I wanna know more. I wanna know why, where did this character, you know, which of the characters are you in this story, you know, and all of those things. And so, uh, and I think that really gives to the third dimension to the story or the fourth dimension, whatever you wanna call it. Um, and I think, um, here's another question I have for you. So thinking about books, because series and sequels and prequels are all the rage these days. Right. You know, a story can't just be what it is, right? So I think about like, for instance, The Handmaid's Tale, right? That book, uh, what was her name? She's a wonderful writer. I watched her uh, Say again? Margaret Atwood. Yeah, Margaret Atwood. You know, so her novel was what, in the late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Okay. Um, and then this, the, they had a movie that was okay, it wasn't great. They had a play, I think. And then they had this really great Hulu series, right? That, and like people demanded for a sequel. Right. So my question, another thing to think about as we write, how, how do you feel about series and how do you feel of when they serialize a book that's really, this is just not just one. I only need one perfect story. Don't ruin it. I, you know, I'm a really, I'm bad at, at series. I, I tend, I, there's, it's often that I won't finish them. I'll try to get through, like it actually took me, um, I tried to read through the Chronicles of Narnia 
And it actually took me, I got the audio books and that's how I finished that series. Cause they're all fabulous, but I just don't have the means to do it. I did read, Oh, what were those? Um, end times revelation books. Oh, the, uh, Tim LaHaye. Uh, yeah. And books. Jason. Um, yeah. What was that? That was, uh, uh, oh, what was it? I read most of those. I read a, yeah. I read like probably up to five of them, something like that. And the left behind um, series, the left behind series, right. I actually, and you know, about the time that I'm finishing five, I think is when Y2K and 2000 hits and they're like, oh, well, we all didn't just disappear. So we're going to write 12 books instead of seven. I was like, you know what I've done now? You're just making money. I'm, whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, I did similarly because uh, I, I also don't like when inconsistency sort of appears. So I was also listening to the Harry Potter series books. And I think I ended at four because was it four or five. I think it's five with the prophecy that I was like, this is inconsistent something. I was starting to get so irritated with the way she was developing her characters that I've, I've seen the movies for the last books, but I've never finished them. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really great with that. Um, a lot of these, so these romance books, historical romance books that I've been reading, um, I do, they do come in series sometimes, like there'll be three or four, but often what it is is like, here's this group of four female friends and each book's going to be their story. And so mm -hmm. it's different, right? It's not like a continuation really. And so I, I, I find those a little bit easier to read, but sometimes these continuing series. And like you said, if the next books aren't as good as the first one, I'm definitely done. So I'm like, yeah. exactly like you're like, Oh, that first one was so good. And eh. yeah. And that's, I like what you like what you described. So that kind of gets at what I like is, which is, you know, the stories that take place in the same world, but that are a different story altogether, you know? So like, I love, so like Harry Potter is one of, it's one of my most beloved series. And I love the first seven books. Uh, I think that that was very necessary. I don't think there was much that was superfluous in that storyline. Fast forward nearly 10 or 15 years later, and you've got, I mean, ungodly amounts of, more to that story you know like even when i remember reading when she made dumbledore gay and there's no, no right. in the and and look i love dumbledore i love the thought that he could be gay i love the idea that he you know i think it's a really tortured beautiful love story between him and grindelwald but don't insult my intelligence okay because and and, and so for me when it comes to serialized books I don't actually care for them as much. Like if, if the books, if it takes, if it's a different story, but it takes place in the same world, I think about that series by Garth Nix, the Sabriel series. Um, it takes place in this world and it even talks about the same family, but it's not the same character through, you know, a multiple time or like a lot, you know, multiple stories. Um, you know, because like Kathy Reich's books with um, uh, Bones, yeah. yeah, I mean, I read one or two, and I think she's a wonderful writer. I think I like Temperance Brennan. I think she's a great character, but mm -hmm. I get bored with her, you know? I, or right. like the um, Janet Ivanovich books, you know? Um, isn't that, that's, that's the same kind of thing, right? It's the same character. Yeah. You know, I just feel like at some point, it's like, let me fill in the blanks as the reader. You know, let me be the one who says, you know, what happens next. If you want, you know... Or if they want to make cameos, I love cameos in other stories, you know, but I'm not a fan of like over serializing because then to me, you're right. It feels like a cash grab, you know? Right. And, and, and I don't, I just feel like a writer 
And this isn't always the case. I mean, certainly there's exceptions to the rule, but for me and my experience as a reader, a lot of the books I'm attracted to tend to be those one-off stories, you know, that are, tells a story in time, you know, there's a beginning, middle and end, and that's it, yeah. you know? And it's interesting, this, um, so again, with these historical romances, this one I'm reading, I've been reading, so it had this whole, I mean, like family tree thing going on, and over time, she's written about the offsprings, and so now, I mean, you know, a few years later, you go from these, these virile, 30-year-old men who were like, you know, they were the end-all, be-all kind of thing, and now we're doing into the offspring, and they're like 60-year-old men, and I'm like, you just age these 30 years. It's just weird, you know, but uh, you know, they're still standalone stories. So they're a little bit different, but it's still so funny to go. Okay. Well now we've got a different story, a different, and, and I do think that the work isn't quite as good as that. And in, those initial pieces were just so fun and interesting and, and trying to get that same sense in these other books is eh, not quite the same, but um, so yeah, serials are, are interesting. And, and um, when you, keep writing about similar characters, you know, can you keep that same interest and, and uniqueness about each of the pieces that make you want to keep reading? Yeah. I mean, but there's people who certainly disagree with this. I think, you know, that will read, you know, follow an author to the ends of the earth. And I think that's wonderful. And I uh, certainly don't begrudge anybody that. I think just for my own tastes, you know, and it sounds like you're similar to me, uh, I don't, I like, if you want to build a world and tell different, I think about those Terry, not Terry, he's a Terry Goodkind, the, the Shannara series. I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fantasy reader. I mean, I like some of it, but um, some of it just gets too like, wow, it's pretty in, in depth. And I didn't take, I don't like to have to like make notes in the margins of my fiction reading, you know? Um, oh yeah. The last bit of darkness, I was totally doing that. I was having to write notes. I couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, listen, some people love that. It's kind of their pastime and yeah. I don't, it's not for me, but it's great for you. But you know, anyway, like the point of it is, is he did that. He had, he built this world, you know, and that's what I think with the Harry Potter stuff. The one thing that is successful outside of the seven books is the world building that she did. The wizarding yeah. world is a wonderful uh, world to exist in that I want to know more about. So like with the um, new series, the Fantastic Beasts, what is it, the new Scamander series, I think that's why that works so well. Yet, if you look at the, the Cursed Child series, now, yeah, it's a Broadway thing or whatever, and it's, you know, hard to get tickets. And I mean, J.K. Rowling is certainly not hurting, and my opinion is not going to do any damage. But, you know, I read the synopsis of that story, and I read some plot points, and it feels, it just, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel as, I don't know, as, as um, what's the word? Like, it doesn't feel as, as the doesn't make me feel the same way the original seven books did because it's a continuation of the same story, right? And so, whereas if you put Newt's commander in that world and you watch how he encounters things, you know, it's like, okay, this is more compelling, you know? So I think if, you know, for me as a reader, I love things that exist in the same world that have references, you know, that I can draw from, but not necessarily the same story and characters over and over again. Right. Well, we could probably talk about books for a really long time. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Plus on time here. So uh, any last words? Um, well, nothing. I mean, I just say, you know, I wouldn't be doing my job as a counselor if I didn't promote some self-care stuff. And I would just say that reading, you know, reading goes beyond just 
intellectual pieces, as we've kind of, hopefully we've kind of covered today, we can, we can critically take these things apart and examine them, or we can just accept them for what they are, a wonderful, you know, experience moment in time. And I know in counseling, you know, a lot of my clients, this thing called bibliotherapy, where they read and they kind of build new skills and new knowledge that way. So, you know, the, I encourage people to turn off the TV and read something that's, that they enjoy. You know, and, and, and carry, yes, I read those Twilight books. I carry that with pride. And yes, I read Dan Brown books and I love every minute of it. And you're not gonna make me feel bad about it. And, um, and, and so, yeah, just read more and enjoy it. You know? that's, and you're that's, not an Anne Rice fan, right? Isn't that what we just- I mean, I think, you know, Anne Rice, I maybe, it's sort of like Stephen King where it's, when I was at, where I was at in my life when I encountered those books, I probably wasn't prepared to read them. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's something about the way Stephen King writes, for instance, that now I'm, I'm actually reading uh, uh, or getting ready to read uh, a couple of things that he's written uh, and that I'm much more in a place in my life that I can appreciate what he's writing. Um, and I think Anne Rice is likely the same um, right. because at the time I was like, ew, no, I can't. It's, and but yeah, I think the, and cause that's one of the differences I think it was that diehard vampire story versus the Twilight kind of thing. Um, yeah. and, and so I, and so kind of closing here is, as you talked about Stephen King, talk about some of it is author voice and, and even people like Stephen King, you'll see a variation in the way they write. And so sometimes even the authors that we love to follow will have a miss for us, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, finding out those books that we like, those authors we like to follow, and then recognizing that sometimes the book isn't for us and it's okay to kind of set it aside because it, mm -hmm. it, it is part of the self-care. You know, we want to enjoy those moments that we're, yeah. we're spending with our books. Exactly. Well, listen, it's been always a pleasure. We're hoping to get back into more regular uh, um, conversations. And now that things are Things are still up in the air as I move, but I, I think we've got a handle on it now. Uh, and so hopefully the podcasts will come to you sooner. We're, we're hoping to launch a new website soon um, and then just and get the marketing out. And But right now we've had a, a small but devoted fan base and we really appreciate you listening. And uh, we hope to do a little more marketing and, and getting this um, book, or excuse me, this podcast rolling uh, to have a more wider audience. But anyway, uh, thank you so much, Chris. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You as well. And uh, yes, thank you for, we really, did need this it had been a while it's been a while all right thanks again and we'll, we'll see you in the next one